I drove by. Is Matthew here? Where's Matthew? Hi, Matthew. <laughs> I left you a gift on your front of your house today. I drove by with a dozen eggs. Let them rip. About mid-August, Matthew called me up and said, KT, can you speak on opposition from the book of Nehemiah? And I said, sure. He said, well, we're, we're trying to pick people to speak kind of appropriately to, to what we think they would, I don't know, have something to say on. Or, or, uh... And I said, well, what made, you, what made you think of me for opposition? He said, well, you know, I just, he was kind and said, I appreciate how you've handled opposition in the past. I said, oh, that's nice. Maybe a week later, the opposition started. And I'm not joking. Since then, um, I've experienced, at least how I feel right now, is the worst opposition that I've ever felt in my entire life. And I say that uh, jokingly that it's all Matthew's fault, but it pretty much is. <laughs> Been blessed to prepare for all kinds of different uh, topics to speak on and um, and of course, they've all applied to my own life, but I think this one, during the time preparing, you know, I've been I've been uh, joking with people that I feel the most prepared because I've been living it, and um, I've learned so much. And and in God's perfect timing, it's been such a blessing that I've been studying how Nehemiah and those around him went through opposition because it's given incredible insight and comfort and encouragement. Uh, as I'm going through it. And I want to start by saying that that's not unique to me, that I know that you have opposition in your lives. And we have opposition probably every day. We'll study this morning real briefly how that's, that's the way it's designed. That's part of it. That's par for the course. Uh, and we fool ourselves by thinking that life is going to be comfy and easy and, and stress-free. In reality, those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, what? will suffer persecution. Life is designed to be uncomfortable. Life is designed to endure hardship and to battle opposition head on. Because if we truly are separate, if we're truly set apart by Christ, then we don't belong here. We don't fit here. We're out of place. And the way the world and the flesh and the devil act and live and operate is completely contrary to what God has for us. The question is, will I wake up to the reality that that's okay? Will I get past my own entitlement and my own desire for comfy, cozy, easy-going life and realize that it's going to be a daily battle. And every day that I don't realize it's a daily battle, I'm living in denial and I'm not as prepared for the, the battle that's happening all around me. So I'm not alone in living opposition. You're right there with me. And many of you have opposition and trials that are way worse than anything I've ever gone through. Be encouraged this morning. Be encouraged. There's a pattern. There's a plan for not only enduring, but actually excelling, actually gaining more joy, actually gaining more abundant life because of the trial, because of the opposition. 
We were talking Wednesday about PowerPoint, and I kind of taunted the other guys saying that I have the most beautiful PowerPoint of any speaker in the entire church. So just enjoy this as we go through it. This is, I don't know what year it came out, but I think this was the 1992 original background. Retro. But will we seek true joy through the opposition? And I think Nehemiah was a tremendous example uh, of a man of God who did that and encouraged others around him to do that. This is our typical, or at least has been my typical way of dealing with opposition. Can you relate to any of these? If I get hit with the trial, the first thing that comes as far as how to deal with it is usually one of these. Take a look at those. And it's different every time which one, which one hits me first. But we are not good at dealing with hardship. We live in a very comfortable culture. We live in a very um, rich culture. Disappointment is not something that we're used to. And so in my weakness, this is where I go. Stress, discouragement, discontentment, guilt, fear, anxiety. Go down the list. And the reality is we, fear the, we feel these things every day. Envy. Why do I have to go through this? Why can't my life be comfy and cozy like the neighbor? Anger. God's plan is joy. God's recipe for dealing with hardship and opposition is joy and dependence. There's all kinds of things that uh, are going to oppose us woven into the very fabric of our society, even our Christian society, where materialism, success or the, the quest for success, even legalism, how we judge each other, the rules that we somehow come up with that are different from God's rules, stricter than God's rules, that we somehow feel better about ourselves if we can impose them on each other. All of this not only steals joy, but actually adds to more opposition. And thankfully, we have a pattern that's laid out in a good part here in Nehemiah for instead of dealing with hardship and opposition the way we're used to, the way that it would naturally go, the way that the world is gone, we can pursue real joy. So let's take a look at the opposition for Nehemiah. Take a look at chapter 4. And Sam, I don't know uh, if it's possible, but if you even wanted to switch over to Nehemiah 4 up on the screen, feel free. Let's read several of these verses. Verse 1 starting. Now when Sanballat heard that we were building the wall, he was angry and greatly enraged. And he jeered at the Jews. I should give a quick recap for anyone who's new to this series. Remember that Nehemiah was a cupbearer for the king. Uh, and he had felt led, believed very strongly that God wanted him to lead an initiative to rebuild the walls because they had been so poorly beaten down and, and struck down. And so Nehemiah stepped out in faith, by definition stepped out of the comfy, cozy palace where he was uh, the cupbearer, very high prominent position, and instead went back to the rubble of the city to lead this rebuilding project. Mark did a tremendous job, I thought, last week of really helping us understand the scope of the project, 
realizing how much planning was involved, how much preparation, the organization that was needed. I bet Ethan was just licking his chops with all the good solid structure that Nehemiah had to put into place. And when he did that, there was unbelievable supernatural success. And in 52 days, by the miracle of God, the wall was rebuilt. And now as we go back in and we start to look at uh, some of the things that had to be overcome, we start to see the opposition. Verse 2. And remember, Nehemiah is narrating here. And he said in the presence of his brothers and of the army of Samaria, what are these feeble Jews doing? Will they restore it for themselves? Will they sacrifice? Will they finish up in a day? Will they revive the stones out of the heaps of rubbish and burned ones at that? Tobiah the Ammonite was behind, beside him and he said, Yes, they are building. If a fox goes up on it, will he break down their stone wall? That's mocking. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. This is Nehemiah speaking again. Hear, O our God, for we are despised. Turn back their taunt on their own heads and give them up to be plundered in a land where they are captives. Do not cover their guilt and let not their sin be blotted out from your sight for they have provoked you to anger in the presence of the builders. So we built the wall and all the wall was joined together to half its height for the people had a mind to work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashadites heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the breaches were beginning to be closed, they were very angry. And they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God, key phrase, and we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. In Judah it was said, the strength of those who bear the burdens is failing. There is too much rubble. By ourselves we will not be able to rebuild the wall. And our enemies said, they will not know or see till we come among them and kill them and stop the work. And we'll pause there, going back to the PowerPoint. Let's talk about what we've seen so far. Nehemiah had an incredibly difficult job, a job that he was open to say, and you heard others even around him say, that this project is impossible without God's help. And to make matters worse, there was additional opposition from outside that. Nehemiah 4 lays it all out. You had these other people from outside start to oppose and start to oppress and start to attempt to derail what God was doing. Outside opposition, thankfully, was met by Nehemiah in the first and most important way. Nehemiah stopped and prayed. This is, I don't know, almost sounds trite when we say that, but the reality is that the dependence on the Lord is the key through any of your trials, through any of my trials. And I would say that if you're struggling as well with opposition, and if you're struggling as well with fear and anxiety and maybe guilt and anger coming in, that's a direct symptom, a direct result that I'm not giving it over to the Lord in prayer. And if you've been through a tough trial, you know what I'm saying when, okay, mentally I want to give this to the Lord in prayer. 
But it's been said that there's the distance between the heart and the head, right? Mentally I know, but do I really have a dependence on the Lord? Do I really have a belief and a trust to, as 1 Peter 5 says, cast my care on the Lord? To pray to Him, not as a token, not as a trite, not as a, okay, I know this is the right thing, but as a desperate cry for help saying, God, You are the only one that can help with this. And I would challenge you to think about what opposition you're going through right now. Think about the trial you're dealing with. Have you in your heart cast it to the Lord saying, God, I can't handle this. It's got to be you. And what happens when you do that? Well, five seconds later, the fear, guilt, and anxiety are back. Have you noticed that? I'd love to give you this rosy story. Cast it to the Lord one good time and you're set. No. The fear, the guilt, the anxiety is going to come storming back. And what needs to happen at that point? Cast it on the Lord again. Cast it on the Lord again. Take a look at that 1 Peter 5, if you could. Before the great adventure was started, I really enjoyed uh, spending a little bit of time over at Riverside and... uh, Lloyd Schneider was was speaking one Sunday and he was speaking on this uh, passage. And he gave a a picture and a teaching on the passage that was just marvelous, that I literally have never forgotten and I've used or attempted to use so many times. Look at verse 6 of 1 Peter 5. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God so that at the proper time He may exalt you casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. Floyd gave the picture of Peter. What was Peter's first job before he followed Christ? Fisherman. And the fishermen at that time, I understand, had these enormous nets and these small boats. And so they would go out and they would have to take this enormous net that weighed... 100, 200, I don't know how much, but as Floyd described it, it was heavy. And these men would have to grab this awkward net and heave it over the side of their boat with every bit of energy and strength that they had. And then that massive thing went into the water and then they were able to to catch fish and then they had to bring it back in, empty the fish and do what? Heave it, cast it with every bit of strength they had over the side of the boat. And he gave me the understanding and the picture that that is the image here. Casting your cares on Him. It's not this light, fluffy, oh, it's all okay. It's this dig deep, fight the fear, anxiety, worry, grab a hold of that nasty fear and chuck it over the side of the boat with everything you have. And then when it returns, literally five seconds later, you chuck it again. And it's a constant, repeated casting on the Lord. Casting on the Lord. Give it to Him. You can read in Matthew that Christ Himself says uh, that He wants to take our burdens. That He can handle our burdens. The problem is not the strength through the opposition. The problem is that we fail to do what Nehemiah did and truly trust and depend and cast that care. And then after that care has been casted, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. What did Nehemiah say in chapter 4? 
Did this threat from outside stop the work? Not a bit. We'll keep on keeping on. The wall needs to be built. We're not going to be slowed down by this opposition. Instead, we're going to intensify our focus. We're going to pursue even more. And we're going to keep on keeping on. Let's relate more opposition to where we live and breathe today. We've talked so many times that there are at least three main sources of opposition. One is the world. And would someone be willing to read 1 John 3.13? Life, do you have that handy? Can you read that for us? 1 John 3.13. John 15.19. That one might even be good to have first. Does uh, Riley have a Bible handy? John 15.19. The world hates you. If you are a follower of a Christ, your way of living, your code of conduct, your entire purpose is contrary to the norm. And by very definition, you are going to face opposition. You're going to face opposition. We'll get to this, but why did Sanballat and Tobiah oppose Nehemiah? I don't know if there's a real clear logical answer. I mean, I suppose they were maybe felt threatened by the idea of this city being risen back up. That could be part of it. But too many times, the why isn't crystal clear. And have you noticed that sometimes when you're dealing with the opposition, one of the most frustrating things to deal with is, well, why is this happening? Why would that person be coming after me? And I'm convinced from Nehemiah, the lesson we learn is we get too caught up in the why someone is opposing us. And I torture myself, maybe even going back to the guilt and the anger and the bitterness and the fear, why is this happening? Why would they do that? What have I ever done to them? Nehemiah quickly got past that. Quickly moved past and dealt with the reality that the world around us will oppose us. We will have opposition. And the sooner that I can come to grips with that, I guess be okay with that, and start to deal with that, then I've got a shot at getting to the solution. Then I've got a shot at really uh, casting those cares on the Lord. But when I stew over the why, when I worry about the why, I'm convinced I only cause harm. Um, Life, do you have that First John 3.13? Yeah. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when you face opposition. Don't be caught off guard by opposition. Because it's going to come. It came for Nehemiah. It's going to come for you. The devil. The world, the flesh, and the devil. The devil is real. And if you take a look at 1 Peter 5.8, there's a warning, a direct warning. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil prowls around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The devil is in charge of this world. 
The devil has been given authority by God to be the prince of the power of the air. This is his turf, people. He will oppose you. His kingdom, the world, will oppose you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. And I admire so much, I hope that you can read through uh, Nehemiah 4, 5, 6 and really start to get the, the feel of the steadfastness of this man. The clear, focused confidence that he had that any opposition that came could and will be dealt with by Almighty God. Just be aware, you're going to be opposed. Let's take a look for a minute at the type of opposition that came. When these people started to oppose Nehemiah, what did they use? Well, first of all, what did you read about? What did they do? They used words, right? That garbage about sticks and stones breaking bones but word never, never hurting is, is a load of hooey, isn't it? Words hurt. And the first word, the first approach, the first attack was mockery. Now, I love and know Scott well, and I've never seen anyone mock Scott, and I think wisely so. But I know him well enough to know that that would not sit well with Scott. Is that fair to say, my brother? We men do not like to be mocked. Respect is an enormous thing to us. It's very important to us. And so men, let me share with you that you will be opposed and one of the tools of the world, flesh, and the devil will be mockery. And what's our tendency? Scott was teaching me about this the other night. Our tendency when we're attacked is to rise up in our own strength. I will be my own defender, right? But instead, Nehemiah does not get tangled up in the mockery of those around him. Instead, he gives it over to the Lord. And he prays. Remember, he prayed and asked God to deal with this mockery. He asked God to deal with this sin. He asked God to deal with these people that were opposing. I think Nehemiah would have preferred if the, uh, if the opposition stopped there, but it didn't. It didn't. So let's take a look at the next level of opposition. So far we've... Uh, learned and know and read again that opposition will come. It came for Nehemiah from outside. It will come to your life. The world will oppose you. The devil will oppose you. Those are outside sources. But they won't stop there. Take a look back at Nehemiah chapter 4. And we'll scroll down. The next challenge was a threat to the health and well-being. There was a physical threat brought. There was threat of an attack. And these people behind these opposers were going to line up and they were, going to, they were threatening to come out with swords and to physically stop the building of the wall. And verse 15 you can see that even as it gets ramped up, have you noticed that? That opposition in your life always seems to start, seems terrible, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and then it gets ramped up more? That happens here. When our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. 
From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon with the other. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me, and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, The work is great and widely spread, and we are separated on the wall, far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. They geared up for battle. They geared up for battle. And there's an unbelievable message here for you and for me. They had to prepare for warfare. Can you imagine building walls in those days without skid loaders and without backhoes and without all the conveniences that we can see? Unbelievable. And now these people not only had to keep up that tireless work, but what did they have to worry about now? Now I've got to get my sword and my spear, and now I somehow have to be ready for a military attack while I'm doing this work. It just gets harder. You ever feel that way? Life doesn't get easier. Have you noticed that? It gets harder. The opposition gets worse. The burdens seem heavier. And every time that I take that on myself or allow my own strength to attempt to deal with that, I feel more and more and more weight. It's more and more and more crushing. But instead, verse 20, they geared up for battle, they had the swords handy, they were fulfilling the responsibility that they had to be prepared But ultimately, look at verse 20, circle, highlight, verse 20 in Nehemiah 4, our God will fight for us. Our God will fight for us. Casting that care right back on the Lord. And Scott was teaching me Wednesday, there's too many times that I think I can do it in my strength and look what I've done. The stark reality is I can do nothing. God must fight for us. And I would urge us, I would urge us to cling to that. There's going to be great news towards the end of our talk this morning. That that actual battle, that actual fight to give God the control will bring more joy and peace and hope through opposition than probably possible without opposition. I'm just going to leave that with you. It's crazy. So it continued. It continued. Look at verse 21. So we labored at the work, and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, Let every man and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem, that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. If it wasn't enough to work from dawn till dusk on this back-breaking job of the wall, what did they have to do now? Now sleep in your clothes with your hand on your sword, ready for an attack at any time. How restful, right? It gets worse. It gets worse. Be ready for the opposition to get worse. Be ready for tough times. 
let's take a, a very, very, very important application that I've neglected too many times. Let's take a look at Ephesians chapter 6. This idea of warfare sort of seems tough for us, right? Um, when was the last war experienced on our home country turf? Does anybody know? It's a long time ago. We're foreign to the idea of a battlefield. We've heard, read about it over there, this place or that, but the idea of a, of a battle is very, very foreign to us. Ephesians tells us that we better get accustomed to it very, very quickly. In Ephesians 6, verse 10, it says, Finally, be strong in the Lord, and in the strength of His might, put on the whole armor of God, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. You know what the rough reality is? You've got to sleep in your armor. You don't have rest from this warfare. The devil and his followers are there 24-7 ready to attack. And I failed of being prepared for spiritual battle at all times. If you've struggled with anxiety, if you'd be willing to share, if, if you've had a time where you've worried about something, Share the times of the 24-hour session where they hit you the most. Anyone willing to share? 3 a.m. Other times? No one else worries. Okay, well, we're set. In the morning, sometimes it feels hard to get out of bed if you're scared about something. Yep. Yep. Others? Mm-hmm. Great point. The reality is, is just like Nehemiah and his people had to sleep in their clothes with their hand on their sword, be aware that opposition literally strikes 24-7. And some of the times where we're supposed to be resting and supposed to be free from worry are the times where the attack comes the most. I know exactly what Benji's saying where you wake up and literally the first thoughts in your mind are this, is this opposition that you've been dealing with. And it's maybe the most frustrating time because you're seeking to close your eyes, you're seeking to get a little rest, you're seeking to wake up refreshed. That's kind of how our bodies were designed, right? And then boom, the stark reminder, this is going to be a battle. And instead of being frustrated or surprised by that, I'm learning to expect that. And I'm learning that the whole armor of God is my one defense, is my key defense. That while God is handling the vast majority, He has asked me to be responsible. And He's asked me to put on the whole armor of God. And I wish we'd have time. We don't. But boy, it would be powerful to study each piece of armor. And it would be powerful to go through it so that we could realize the enormous ability that we have to defend opposition by this spiritual 
armor that God has given. I will touch on what? I will touch on one. Uh, two. I lied. Two. Verse 17, Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. The helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. The helmet of salvation. It's only grace we heard this morning. The very existence depends on my relationship with Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago came and died on a cross and supernaturally as well as physically went through punishment from God Himself for your sin. And Scripture says that as many as will receive Him, receive that gift, to them He gave the rights to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. The helmet of salvation is your one shot. And I would urge you to consider this helmet of salvation. Have you received Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, you're fighting an unwinnable battle. Take that helmet of salvation and willingly place it on your head. Will it remove all your problems? No. Will it make life a piece of cake? No. But it gives you an opportunity for eternal life and a shot at true, real joy in how you live day in and day out. Secondly, once you've put that helmet of salvation on, do you have the sword of the Spirit at your side like Nehemiah and his builders 24-7? Do you have the Word of God ready? And I don't mean do you have the Bible app on your iPhone. I mean is the Word of God so part of your thinking and your, your um, beliefs Is it so part of what you've studied and taken in that when that opposition comes, God's holy word literally comes to your mind? Do you have enough of God's word stored in your heart so that at the times of opposition, those are the thoughts that come? Or at the very least, that's the reservoir of strength that I can dip into. I'm ashamed that several years ago I stopped memorizing verses daily. And I've been seeking to follow the challenge of Lev and Ethan and others that have said, hey, daily memorize Scripture. Let's put it in these terms. If you want to fight and oppose those who oppose you, you're way better off with a reservoir of verses, with the Spirit, sword of the Spirit, with you at all times. Will we obey and start memorizing Scripture. If we want to oppose the world and the flesh and the devil, we must. The ladies are studying, many of the ladies are studying Colossians. I hope that's going great. We've got to make sure we continue on with that. Men, we better be memorizing. Your small groups are talking about memorizing. It's crucial. It's critical. And then, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Scripture teaches us to pray without ceasing, right? It's like breathing. 
We're constantly talking with God, constantly depending on Him. Talk to, talk to Betty. She'll share that one of the most important spiritual lessons in her entire life was when she realized that she can talk to God constantly through everything. At the kitchen sink, in the store, no matter where she's at. It's an open line of communication. We need that communication. We're desperate for that communication. And take no, make no mistake, the helmet of salvation, the Word of God, the sword of the Spirit, and prayer are intricately linked. You need all three. I applaud you if you're reading the Bible, but if you have not received the gift of salvation, that's the first step. I'm thrilled if you're memorizing Scripture, but if you haven't experienced how it's enhancing your prayer life, if you haven't yet found that you're praying more and that when you're praying, the verses that you're reading are, are coming into your mind and your prayers, it's all connected. It's all connected. It's time to get serious about the opposition that's right in front of us and it's time to get serious about dealing with it with God's way. Don't question the why. Don't waste our time on why are we being opposed. Go to the strength. Go to the strength. Prayer. Dependence on the Lord. And ultimately, what will that bring? That is the kind of joy that our hearts desire. John 15, Jesus Christ says, Abide in Me. And Ethan and I have talked at length that with that whole picture of the vine and the branches, that sometimes the abiding is the most important when, Ethan? With the pruning. At the pruning. And, and you mind sharing briefly what we've learned together about pruning? Totally putting you on the spot. That's exactly right. Because opposition isn't always from the world and the flesh and the devil. Opposition, well, I should rephrase, it is always from the world, the flesh, and the devil. But it's not, God is not unaware that it's happening. And there's a much bigger picture to be understood. And the bigger picture is that God, because He is in control of all things, and even while He's allowing you to go through this opposition... He will exploit that. He will t turn that. And it will become something that, that becomes very, very good and important and um, better to bring you closer to Himself. And that's what Ethan and I are learning, that okay, it's never 
fun when, when, a, when a hatchet chops off a branch. That hurts every time. It's never fun when um, something happens, a trial happens. But the reality is that that allows us to have a deeper joy and a deeper dependence. And just like Jesus Christ in John 15 went on to say that His whole point, the reason He's come is so that you may not only have life, but have it what? Have it abundantly. Have it abundantly. And this pruning, this, this uh, uh, changing that often comes at the hand of opposition is turned and used and exploited by God to draw you closer and closer and closer. And that's ultimately the way that our unbelievable God can take bad things and turn them for good. And that's where His promise in Romans where He says that He causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. It's a promise. It's a promise. And so that joy is not a little joy. That joy is the very promise of God. One of the very reasons that Jesus Christ Himself came was to give you this abundant dependence and joy whether it's God directing things in your life that need to change, like the pruning, whether it's others um, persecuting you, regardless of the opposition, it's all working for joy. There's another reality. We touched on it a little bit. But just understand that any opposition, that substantial opposition, almost always gets worse before it gets better. Have you experienced that? You will. You'll keep thinking, man, just when I thought it can't get worse, it does. And this happened for Nehemiah because as hard as it was for Nehemiah to deal with opposition from strangers or others outside the wall, when you read on to chapter 5 and 6, now he has to deal with more opposition. Inward opposition. Realize that we can oppose each other. And that unfortunately some of the most hurtful opposition is the opposition that comes from the people that we love the most. I think it was Spurgeon said that no one can cut him as quickly or deeply as his wife. And it's true of a wife as well, that a husband's harsh words are the hardest to take. And be aware that opposition will not only come from outside, but the opposition often comes from each other as well. And there's two sides of that, right? Take heart, because God is just as much there for you when those close to you are opposing you as when it's others outside. But the second is don't oppose one another, right? Be part of the solution, not the problem. We can be so petty with each other. We can be so stubborn with each other. We can be so steeped in our own beliefs and principles that we hurt one another with our beliefs because we're convinced that they need to change how they think to match how I think. We oppose each other. That's got to stop. There's too much garbage from the world and the, fl- and the devil We've got to stop wasting time with attacking each other. 
JP and, and Matthew and some others have been leading discussions on how do we become more connected to the true brothers and sisters all around us in our town and in our country. It's time for that. Instead, we oppose each other. There's walls of division. There's disagreement. There's fighting. That's a waste of energy and time. Nehemiah dealt with it. There were um, aristocrats inside that were actually bribed or paid off or enticed by these outside forces to oppose Nehemiah and to attempt to get him into trouble and to threaten him. And you can read about it. For the sake of time, just know that you can read all about it. And it must have been incredibly hurtful to have people inside the wall opposing the work that had been going on. But thankfully, Nehemiah stood firm. The exact same belief, God will defend, God will accomplish His work. I'm not going to get swayed or delayed. I'm doing a work of the Lord. It must be done. Do the same. As hard as it is, when your brother or sister oppose you, don't let yourself miss a beat. Don't let yourself wallow in the disappointment. You're, you have a work to do. You have a joy to maintain. That's your calling. And at all costs, it needs to be maintained. Those among us will oppose us. The biggest opposition, maybe, of all of them is you. You will oppose the work of the Lord in your life. Take a look at Romans 7. The stark reality that I choose to forget all the time is that there is nothing good in me. When I sinned, I became separate from God, broken, dead in my trespasses and sin, as Ephesians said. By God's grace, He made me alive. And when I received Christ as my Savior, I became alive. I became a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. But just like the Apostle Paul talks about, the old remnant, the old me, is still here. Verse 13, Did that which is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin producing death in me through what is good in order that sin might be shown to be sin and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. The key verse there, for I know that nothing good dwells in me. If you've received Christ as your Savior, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. He is the source of any spiritual goodness. I am the source of opposition. 
And our culture says, do what you feel. Look to your heart. Let me disappoint you in that your heart is always going to lead you astray. Unless my heart says, not what I want, but God, I want what you want. Unless my heart can be changed and transformed to desire what God wants. My mind will always default to what's negative and what's complaining and what's opposing. But as Romans 12 says, the mind can be transformed. It can be renewed. How? Back to the Word. Back to the Word. Why is daily time in the Word so important? Because it literally changes the way we think. It literally allows us to surrender the desires of our heart to match the desires of God. Don't miss the reality that inward opposition not only comes from those that love us, it comes from my own sinfulness. And it comes from my own uh, scar tissue of the damage that sin has done when I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I don't understand it all. It's tough. But I think that I'm learning that I can be my own worst enemy. You know, I can, I can have a fight with Christy and go like, why the heck was I fighting about that? That's stupid. But I'll do it again the next week. You're your own worst enemy. I'm my own worst enemy. And the, the day that we understand that and realize that it can't be about me, we've got a better shot at dealing with the opposition. 1 Corinthians 9.27 Make a note of that verse and I'd encourage you to look it up. Finally, never, never give up. Tony Dungy uh, has written a series of devotionals and uh, yesterday's Christy brought in said, this is perfect for what you're speaking on tomorrow. No matter what, don't give up. Philippians 3.12 I don't mean to say that I have already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. Winston Churchill gave a very famous speech in 1941 uh, and one of the most famous lines was, Never give in. Never give in. Never, 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 never. In nothing great or small, large or petty, never give in except, except to convictions of honor and good sense. We do not have the luxury of throwing in the towel. We must persevere. And the thing that stinks is as you persevere, it's, it's going to get harder. But greater is He than he who is in the world. God is greater. God is stronger. God is able to be your defender. God is able to be your protector. The opposition got worse for Nehemiah. Do you realize that they actually wrote a letter accusing Nehemiah that he was traitorous to his king? They wrote a letter saying that Nehemiah is really trying to rise up with these Jews and rebel against the king. What would that have meant if the king would have received that letter and believed that to be true? He'd have been executed. It got worse. It wasn't just an embarrassment. It wasn't just the hurt that the people I love are starting to oppose. 
it got to threaten his very life. The very hairs on his head separate his head from his body. That's the kind of opposition. But somehow, miraculously, Nehemiah, and let's close with those verses, Nehemiah was able to go back to the same thing, that the Lord will be the defender. He was able to rest on God's Word. He was able to rest on prayer. And he was able to go right back to his defender and find comfort there. And my favorite, favorite verse of Nehemiah to sum this up is Nehemiah 8.10. And Nehemiah 8.10 summarized this steadfastness that I've been telling you about throughout. Nehemiah is talking. They've had a time of reading the Word together as a nation. They all came and stood in the, the square and Ezra just started reading the Word from early in the morning to around noontime. What's that? Three, four hours, right? Dependence on the Word. And then He said to them, Go your way. Eat the fat and drink sweet wine and send portions to anyone who has nothing ready. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The joy of the Lord is your strength. That was the battle cry of Nehemiah. And through all this opposition, the joy of the Lord remained His strength and the Lord delivered. Now, not to burst the bubble, but there's been thousands of Christians that have been martyred for the name of Christ, haven't they? Nehemiah's story ended happily, didn't it? There is no promise that your opposition will not result in your martyrdom. There's no promise that life will be rosy. There's only a promise that through anything and everything, the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I don't have time to read it, but Christy shared with me a a blog from Ann Voskamp. Um, She wrote that book, uh, Thanks, Gifts, yep. And she made a direct connection with gratitude and joy of the Lord being her strength. And her challenge was that life will not get easy. Life will be hard. Your opposition may be so strong that it ends in your life being snuffed out. But if you maintain a thankful heart, if you maintain a focus on the Lord, if you maintain a dependence on God, then the joy of the Lord will be your strength. And I wish that there was an easy message to pass on. But the realistic message is that God Himself is all that we need. And times will be tough. Times will get tougher. Let's cling to the Lord like Nehemiah did. Let's prayerfully put on that sword of the Spirit, the helmet of salvation and everything else, and let's daily be willing to walk uh, with Him and for Him. Father, we come to you not exactly thrilled with the idea that we're going to suffer persecution pretty sick of the frustration and discouragement that we face so often but Lord I hope 
uh, renewed in the joy that uh, you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. Hopefully realizing more that opposition is, is just a detail that our our relationship with you, our comfort from you, the joy that we can find in you will be our strength. That no matter what happens, joy can never be taken from us when it's grounded in you. And Lord, we praise you for that. We ask for your help. We ask for your um, conviction and guidance. How do we take these lessons from Nehemiah? How do we learn from them? How do we change today so that we'll be faithful like he was? Thank You for being the God who will rise up and defend us. Thank You for miraculously building that wall in 52 days. Thank You for uh, sparing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego literally from a fiery furnace by sending Your Son to to rescue them out of that furnace. You've, You've come, You've shown up time after time in miraculous ways and defended Your people and made Your name proclaimed. And that's what we want, Lord. We want Your supernatural deliverance. We want Your uh, glory to be shown. We want to be found faithful. We want to be joyful in You. We want the peace that passes understanding to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. This is all impossible with us, but all things are possible with You. And so just like Nehemiah said, it's impossible that we build the wall. God has to build the wall. We know, Lord that this life You've given to live is impossible on our own. We cling to You. We trust You. We depend on You. And we praise Your name this morning. In Jesus' name, Amen.